for me, it's really about um, your standards. And, uh, and I learned in nuclear power from some great leaders. Your standards are not what you ask for. They're what you accept. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Welcome back, everybody, to Lead the Team. I've got Leslie Cass, who's the CEO-elect of Lewis Tree Service, which is one of the largest providers of utility vegetation management services in North America. They are 100% employee-owned with approximately 4,000 employees in the U.S. and Canada, providing a wide range of vegetation management services and expertise, including around-the-clock utility line clearing and outage response resources. Imagine how you people navigate when a storm hits and your power's out. These are the people that come to your rescue and get your power back on and works with them. Now, Leslie, back to her, has 28 years of experience in the industrial and energy spaces, including serving as CEO of Babcock and Wilcox, a publicly traded 150-year-old power generation and environmental equipment company, and also executive vice president of TC Energy. Now, Leslie has an undergraduate degree in material science and engineering from MIT. That's right, MIT, and an MBA from Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. And Leslie is a U.S. citizen and a permanent resident of Canada and has held top secret level clearances in both countries associated with her work in nuclear energy. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. So we got to ask right out of the gate, what in the world is it like having top secret clearances in two countries? It's, uh, you know, it's all about need to know. So you can have the clearance. They may not tell you very much, <laughs> it's but tough when you do know something, they train you and train you and train you. Don't say a word, <laughs> neither <laughs> confirm nor deny. Got but, it. Okay. Uh, Stay neutral. How much, so can you reveal like how much training, how much discussion have you had to have to get that level of clearance? Um, it's, uh, especially in the U S there was quite a bit to make sure that no. I was, uh, I was covered, but it's, uh, it's really about trust and they make mm. sure, you know, they look at your background or the reasons to trust you or the reasons that you would be, could be compromised. And, uh, I live a pretty boring life. So this, well, you're probably good enough. <laughs> boring never looked so good or sounded so good. <laughs> yeah. I gotta believe there aren't that many people that are able to get that. And they're probably looking for reasons not to trust you at that point, uh, to able to get that. And yeah, we're dealing with nuclear type stuff. I mean, yeah, it, it requires a lot. Uh, I used to work for Honeywell corporate years ago, and Honeywell's got a uh, has an arm that's involved in the whole nuclear sector. And it's so funny. We could call anybody inside the company anywhere, anytime, globally, except for that group. And to be <laughs> able to contact them, it's like you never heard from them. And then eventually, every once in a while, you, you would get this email. And you're like, okay, they're from this other area. So it's kind of it's kind of an interesting, kind of secretive 
world that a lot of people aren't familiar with, but we're glad that it is secretive. <laughs> we're glad it's working for us. So let's dive into your background. And there's so many questions that come to mind. One is uh, that you were a trailblazer, still are today, as the first female engineer at your very first employer, the first female engineering manager at a large nuclear power plant fleet, and the first female CEO of a 150-year-old industry. So you're clearly the first of. You are breaking, shattering glass ceilings all over the place. What have you learned from this experience? It's been uh, it's it's been quite a quite a ride. I never thought I would uh, go all the places I've been, but you know, right out of the gate there uh, at my first company, being the first female engineer, I remember mm-hmm. um, the folks kind of circling around me, checking me out. The other engineers, I, I started participating in the football pool. They were so surprised, you know, then I won, then they were mad, but <laughs> I knew I'd won them over when they you came over money. one day. Right. <laughs> yeah, they said, uh, we're getting one, we're getting one too. I'm like, what are you getting a puppy? No, a female engineer, just like you were getting one. I said, well, what are you going to name her? And they're like, oh, seriously? Oh but, um, but it was just, I think oh. it, the whole way through, like embracing the different, embracing the, um, the curiosity, not, mm. Don't let it offend you. Just uh, just embrace it. Find a way to to connect. It's all about connecting with people. And and uh, you know, once they're comfortable with you, they just let you be part of the team. So for me, it wasn't uh, it wasn't fight it. It was embrace it and find ways you know where I can proactively um, uh, be a little part of their world. And it's uh, it's worked out really well. I've built great relationships over the years. So kind of rewinding the clock about, you know, you're, you go to MIT, which is probably a very male, uh, heavily male, uh, I guess that a, a lot of, a lot more males at MIT than females probably. Used to be when I Used went there, be. it was 70% male, 30% okay. female. And now it's, it's at least 50, 50. And the, okay. uh, the women may have a little, little edge right yeah, now, actually. Good. good. So your time though, 73. So you knew early on you're going down the road of, Hey, I'm getting into industries and my interest areas. It's, it's male dominated in terms of the leadership, you know, the people working there. Uh, you know, what was your mindset? It's like, you didn't care or I'm going to still do this or how, how are you processing that? I, re- I remember someone asking me, like, you do know you're going into a male-dominated field when I said, I'm going to MIT, I'm going to be in engineering. And I thought, oh, am I? Okay, well. And it it just mm. never occurred to me. I think, ironically, I went to an all-women's high school, and we did everything. Mm. We did the male parts and plays. We did, you know, we we uh, our world still went just fine. And uh, I thought, you know, I, I, I can do anything. And I really credit my parents and said, you know, you can do anything. And so it never occurred mm. to me, it would be a problem and few challenges along the way, but push through. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And it just seemed like once you got your momentum at MIT, you just kept rolling. And so <laughs> you're like first female here, first female here, first female here. Now you're in the C-suite. Uh, what advice do you have for females specifically, but really all underrepresented people in the C-suite for how they can navigate this in a, in a positive way for themselves? I think it's focus on uh, your work 
first. Focus on your delivery, focus on your value, because um, there are so many talented people coming from all different backgrounds, uh, diversities, you know, uh, and and just focus on your work and let your work speak for itself. Sometimes you'll have to advocate and find find those advocates. For me, uh, I there were you know all all male leaders frequently above me, but you find someone who has a really smart wife or really smart daughters, and if they say no to you, they're saying no to her. So mm. if if you can, um, mm. that's that's easier to do with the the female diversity than many of the others. But you know that that was one for me that worked as find someone. Uh, who would be pretty hard for them to hold me back. Well, I just love that a strategy and and for all listeners to think about how this works in our lives, because when we, I have a daughter, uh, when we have daughters, we think about gender diversity differently. And that applies, like you say, to all underrepresented groups, because when you have a personal connection, it, it just, you really can't help but let it sort of shift how you see the world. But I like what you're saying in addition to that about understand the leaders that you're going to work with and who are in their lives. What are they talking about? Understand their perspective because it can maybe feel like an uphill climb for someone uh, if their boss isn't advocating for them. And if you can understand, you know, the their personal side more, you can kind of maybe get a crystal ball and tell the future if they're going to be a support for you down the road. Well, I think, I think that's it, Ben. And I also think just making sure that, um, you know, one thing I've seen people do is they will get frustrated in their situation and they'll let their work slide because they get consumed uh, with the frustration, which is real about, um, about their their leader, the lack of recognition, the challenge. And then, you know, you're really only hurting yourself. If you continue, if you can kind of set that aside, do great mm-hmm. work, and then that helps you find your way out of that situation to a better leader. And if you know it's just not going to work, you're not going to be supported, you got to vote with your feet and get out of no. there. That, that's the other thing. If you hit a, a terminal roadblock, then you've got to take the initiative to just move on. You, you know, maybe you just can't change them. Yeah, I, I like that because that was one of my other things. Was what What are the mistakes people make in that? And like you said, I thought that was a good a good point. In that situation, one of the mistakes people might make is, like I said, getting frustrated, letting the work quality slide. But that's your that's your golden ticket to get out for another leader, ultimately. Instead so of be able to focus on the work, makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the other angles I think is very interesting is. These industries you're working on, nuclear, uh, you know, here at Lee Tree Service, you know, veg- vegetation management where people are climbing and they're on power lines all the time. Safety and potential for injury, I mean, it's just something you got to look at every single day where a lot of other industries may not face the same battle. So as you look at it, one of the things that comes up for me is fighting complacency because it's so easy for people going about their daily job and it just becomes monotonous and they maybe forget or they don't prioritize that for that in their teams. In your work history as a leader, what are you doing? How are you approaching culture and attention to detail and keeping people engaged in their, in their, in their roles? 
I think you make such a great point about complacency. It's that's the deadliest thing. And uh, we talk about it here at Lewis where, you know, when we are responding to a storm and everyone's on their game and they're focused on the mission, we have terrific safety performance uh, where we find our biggest safety challenges are in that routine day-to-day work where people get too comfortable and they're not, mm. uh, not on their toes. And so, mm. you know, how do you, how do you create that, um, that focus every day. And that's, you know, that's the challenge. And, and, you know, the folks in nuclear power would tell you the same thing, you know, in an outage when everybody's in there scrambling and hustling, uh, you get, you get better focus. So for me, it's really about um, your standards. And, uh, and I learned in nuclear power from some great leaders, your standards are not what you ask for, they're what you accept. And the minute hmm. you lower your standards, you're starting to uh, erode your, um, you know, your safety posture and, and just your performance. So if you can get in there and make sure that, you know, no one would ever consider uh, using substandard equipment, that they're always have a spotter who is dedicated, you know, in our case to the climber, that you always make sure that you've got your traffic control. Um, and we know what the standards are exactly how they should be such that that just becomes muscle memory. And then we can deal with the challenges. But if you start letting any of that lapse, if you lower your standards, uh, that's the slippery slope to complacency. That quote, that's a good quote. Really resonates with me. Standards are not what you expect. Is what you accept? or or Standards are not what you... Not what you ask for. They're what you accept. So the first time you accept, you walk, you know, in my case, I walk up on a crew and their equipment looks a little shoddy and I don't say something, I've said, it's okay. You can use substandard equipment, which is, mm. you know, like a mortal sin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, man, so many leaders, I think this can be so helpful for people uh, to really remind themselves about as they go about, especially when they're on site somewhere or even if they're in a meeting and even if they're working virtually with a team. You know, mm-hmm. are they allowing cameras off? Are they, you know, what is the standard that you're that you're accepting? And really that that's it. And so to be so much more intentional about how you how you navigate that, I think that makes a lot of a lot of great sense there. Now another thing that I found really cool about your company is that it's hundred percent employee owned. And you know, there there aren't as many of those around. It used to be, I think, more a more popular business model. Uh, but you know, but now probably fewer than there used to be. But I think there's so much potential in that. And I'd love to hear from your perspective. How have you noticed the employee engagement there versus maybe other companies out there or even some companies from your past and notice the difference? It Ben, it is incredible. And it's a gift to be part of hundred percent employee ownership because it's great if uh the folks um coach and monitor each other. You know, that's our money. So you don't see uh, some of the loose spending. People are really, really uh, um, Hmm. uh, paying attention to that in a different way because it Mm -hmm. feels very personal. Um, They, they feel very personally about our customers uh, and, and each other and performance. And, you know, I have to do my part here because we're all going to win together. Uh, You know, my, Hmm. Our outgoing CEO is a wonderful guy, Tom Rogers. He says there is no Mr. Lewis who has a plane and five houses, and you know is is uh, is just benefiting from our profit. It all goes back to the whole team, and we have great stories about 
folks who can retire very comfortably, you know, who maybe have been in even hourly jobs, but it it is a real game changer. And then as a leader, it's a game changer because um, I get to focus on the things that matter on our people mm-hmm. and on our customers. I'm not trying to answer all the analyst questions, which I've done, you know, with as a publicly traded company and all my investors. Uh, you don't have, um, you know, private equity, which may not have the longest term goals. We, you know, our goal right. is this is a retirement fund that generates money. Uh, it runs a business to to generate money for our retirees, so we can think very long term. And it just the whole level of strategy you can undertake uh, for me is so refreshing. Wow. So when you took this job, was that one of the things that drew you in? Was like, hey, I haven't run a company that's 100% employee owned. I've heard about this. Like, like this attracted you to the. Absolutely. It was, yeah. uh, uh, it, you know, stepping back into that CEO role, CEO role, which is so intense, uh, knowing that I would still be able to focus, um, not just externally on all those other stakeholders, but focus on, you know, just my customers and my employees that, that was just irresistible. But of course the flip side is that you're, it can be, can, could it, can it be awkward because you're kind of leading your boss or your bosses? Am I right? Like there is a, the, the employees <laughs> own the company. They have a board, right? There's, there's a yes. board and they're technically the managing board, but you're making impact for the people that own the company. So does I it ever get weird from that standpoint? Well, I tell them, I say, hey, I'm, I have to look my owners in the eye every day. And when I go out in the field, I'm like, you're, you know, you're my boss. You tell me what we need to do to make this company better and stronger and make your experience better. And um, I think I get a little more feedback because they they feel that buy-in, but I've got a lot of accountability. Yeah. And then we do have a, a board that sits above me that's uh, made up of a really great set of diverse uh, external experts. Uh, who help guide, but, but yeah, I gotta, I gotta, you know, own it every day. I don't get to hide. Yeah. It's funny. Cause we, one of the traits, I'm going to ask you this question here in a second. What's the one trait uh, you wish you could instill on every employee <laughs> and why, but I was thinking one of the most common things that people talk about is ownership and because they want their employees to really own and be responsible for their own role, but also how their role impacts the bottom line. And I mean, here at your company, I think everyone's probably in that ownership state of mind because literally they do own the company. Yeah. <laughs> and they and they get statements on it every year. And yeah. Yeah. All right. So so let's go down that road. So we've kind of taken ownership off the table as the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee because frankly, they all own the company. So, but doesn't mean they necessarily have that trait, but probably more than than not. And so, what is that trait from your standpoint? It's a positive outlook. It's hmm. um, you know, rather than seeing everything as uh, you know as a challenge, seeing it as an opportunity, or saying, "Well, you know, we we can uh, we can figure this out." And I think. Um, yeah, I got to give the folks at B&W a lot of credit. We were, when I was there, we we're under so much pressure and now the company's, uh, you know, kind of returned from the dark days to success, but the amount of creativity and the mm-hmm. amount of ingenuity from folks, um, it, you know, said, well, you don't have any budget to create DEI training. And some folks just created an amazing training, uh, using resources from the internet. 
you know, someone who's got a positive outlook who says, okay, I'm not going to get defeated. I'm going to get busy. That's priceless. Hmm. I'm not going to get defeated. I'm going to get busy. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much says it all. And it's, it's funny. I use this a lot of my training with leaders talking about creativity. You look back at the great depression and how many amazing inventions that, that big companies were like Motorola, uh, Xerox. There's a lot of companies that came out of that, uh, stronger, but, but, but these inventions and things were, there were desperate times and people came together and were so creative in their problem solving. It really fueled a whole nother level of, uh, industrial organizations. And so I just love that, but it all starts with that positive outlook, because if you can just to, accept the situation, but then move forward versus accept it and stay down. You're going to have a lot different outcome. And man, you're in the storm business too. So kid grief. I mean, the amount of challenges that, that your employees face probably an awful lot, especially now we're coming into the fall. So being creative and going through that (laughs) makes a lot of sense. So over the years, what's been your biggest source of inspiration? And why and what's a challenging time that got you through? It's the people. It's always the people, uh, especially as you move up in leadership. You know, you're responsible for their mm-hmm. experience, for uh, their livelihood, for their families, for the opportunities. And um, you know, in the in the most challenging times, I just mentioned some challenging times at BMW, and you think, oh my gosh, you know, can I can I go back in today and fight another day? It's like, yeah, people's pensions are on the line and their jobs are on the line. You bet I can. Let's mm. go. And I think, uh, you know, keeping keeping the people first for me is just such an inspiration because there are so many hardworking folks out there who, um, you know, as leaders, we, we kind of really influence what their experience is like. And um, you got to own that. Yeah, that's keeping the bigger why in perspective but also sounds like a lot of pressure, <laughs> which you don't get Maybe in the C-suite. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get in the C-suite because you want a, a stress-free job, of course. Uh, but now that you're there and, and you've been, you know, through several top jobs now, what type of strategies do you recommend for leaders who are in stressful roles themselves? I think it's, um, it's don't, don't uh, be afraid to be vulnerable. Let people know it's stressful, right? Otherwise, they just think you're lying. <laughs> they wonder about you uh, because if you say, oh, it's all good here, don't worry. Uh, folks are smart enough to see right through that. Um, so saying, mm-hmm. hey, it's tough. We're working together. Accept some help. That's one uh, I, I see a lot of folks do. They um, they they get in that situation, think they have to do it all themselves. I think you, you definitely need to accept accept help and be open to it when people come to you. And then, you know, it's, it's also take action quick, right? You, you don't, if you're in a pretty tough situation, you don't get to think and overthink. Um, you got to take the best information you have and keep moving. Yeah. I once had a boss that told me, Ben, part of our job here is to make great decisions with bad data. And (laughs) I was like, okay, at least you're admitting we have bad data. Uh, but having bad data is not an excuse. So it's like, okay, we can all accept this because having, having truly great information, pristine information would make everyone's job so much easier. But in real time, you don't always have all the information. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? 
get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. When's the time that you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? I went to work for a company who uh, I've been there for about eight months, eight and a half months, and they had a new CEO came in. And I knew the team before, loved them, was super excited to be there. But the new CEO came in and um, I was in a position very public facing. So my credibility relied on, on you know, having to represent this individual. And I said, I can't do it. I just mm-hmm. can't do it. Not aligned. Don't think there's enough credibility there. And I'm not, you know, you're rep- you get one reputation and you can just destroy it forever. So I uh, came home and said, I I can't do it. I got to switch jobs. And I had lots of um, had tremendous support at home, but friends, colleagues, people are like, you can't do that. You've only been there nine months. You can't make that that quick a switch. How will you ever explain it? So I don't know why I'm going to explain it, but I'm going to do it. Hmm. And um, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. I then wound up uh, at BMW, got a, you know, the opportunity to make it all the way to CEO, would have never had that. And uh, ironically, in my recent interviews for the position here at Lewis, uh, someone from the industry who's on our board was familiar with the situation and said, gold stars for you, because you um, you you made the right call. You made oh. the right call. The, the credibility wasn't there. And you absolutely, that was a smart chance to take. Wow. So you just know right out of the gate, like, I, I, I need to make this move. Or did you have like a discernment process or like, let me think through this or, or you just, or just did it at a, at a snap? I uh, spent the day with the individual uh, in front of a bunch of external stakeholders and said, oh my, mm. oh my, this isn't going to, yeah, I cannot align to that. And okay. so I think, you know, and, and for their benefit too, I wasn't going to be their person. So rather than prolong the agony, probably for both of us, that was uh it was a gift. And when I, when I left, I'm, I'm not sure it was perceived that way, but, uh, but uh, I think later on, probably in, in hindsight, probably glad it was never going to be a fit. Yeah. It, it seems like you have so much inner knowledge and self-awareness to be able to read that situation, to make that move. Because if you were thinking about what everyone was on the outside thinking, like you say, you've only been in that nine months, people are going to, people can think all kinds of stuff about it. Um, but you knew, you know, you went ahead and and made that move anyway. I think that's a real challenging situation for so many leaders to make that call early on because they feel like, Hey, it's a blemish on my LinkedIn profile or my resume. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, when you know, have you, do you have a self-reflection process that you've used for, for a while, or do you work with coaches or you know, what's your process for kind of thinking through things as a leader? Um, at, at, at the time, right, it was really, uh, I have a great thought partner in my husband okay. and, yep. you know, and a great network of, of friends, many, many of whom told me in this one, I was crazy, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. I think <laughs> Thanks, network. sometimes doing the, you know, doing the right thing is always the right thing to do, but man, it's frequently hard. I think yeah. now I have the benefit of uh, having had some coaching, so I know. Um, mm-hmm. So I can I can try to think through. Okay, what are 
you know, what are my weaknesses that might be overcoming me here? Where am I being, uh, you know, acting too fast or I'm not considering all the data, you mm-hmm. know, where, where am I maybe going too fast and need to slow down and take these pieces in? And, uh, and I've, I've gotten a lot more reflective over the years, which has been helpful because, you know, got a lot more responsibility and got to be really careful. Yeah, that is a common thread in a, in a lot of my interviews here. Only the team is they have a network that they go to or mentors or sometimes like a spouse or a friend and a coach, you know, a coach, mm-hmm. which I'm a coach, but I have my own coach, coaches, and uh, have someone to ask the tough questions to help you really be thoughtful and reflect in the moment can, um, you know, I, I think save you a lot of time, money, and frustration. Absolutely. And, and also help you be honest with yourself. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's my, my husband. I say, he holds up the mirror. He's like, really? Do you realize what you're saying? And you're like, oh, that undergrad psych major is killing me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're right. Oh, you married a psych major. I see what's yeah. happening now. Yeah, holding yeah. the mirror up. Yeah. No, it is. I don't, it, it's weird because we have to really separate who we actually are from what we've become based on movies and books and other leaders we've had and people's perceptions of us and what we think a CEO should really be or what a leader should really be. And uh, when you make that, when you really, and, and but stripping it all back, it allows for honesty of, yeah. of who we really are to come forward. And man, it sounds like it was really a great help for you in that moment. Mm-hmm. All right, just a couple more questions here. So what books, podcasts, or music do you recommend for someone in the C-suite or who's on a mission to get there? Um, for for books and podcasts, Patrick Lencioni for me is just very approachable, accessible, makes sense. I don't do well with like uh, heavy academia. I think I've served my time on that. So you maxed uh, out like, at Duke and MIT <laughs> on academia? Yep, I didn't think anybody my, that went to MIT and Duke could ever max out on academia, but I guess I, it's possible. I've had enough, <laughs> but yeah, the, the really thick books with lots of charts, um, mm-hmm. I struggle, but, but I find that really impractical advice you can use and can share with, with folks at all levels. And I think, uh, Adam Grant, think again, really blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an excellent book for me. That was like a page turner. Um, and I think on music, I think, uh, you know, i I, uh, I love music and I think everybody needs kind of their fight song and their pump song and, you know, what you, uh, what you have, you know, getting yourself ready for work, getting an upbeat mood. I'm all for it before, before a big meeting. Okay. You're, you're really leaving me hanging. What is your fight song? <laughs> well, uh, for interviews, it's eye of the tiger. Oh, yes. Got to have that one, but the survivor. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> What else? Any, anything else coming to mind? Uh, right now, I'm listening to uh, Ben Rector, Living My Best Life. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm that's a super that. fun song. And I feel like that's what I'm doing right now. It's a great place to be. Hmm. Wow. Love it. We'll put those in the show notes if you haven't heard those songs, everybody. Uh, but surely everyone's heard Eye of the Tiger at this point. Oh, yeah. But everyone <laughs> needs a refresher on Eye of the Tiger. Everyone my age has heard of Eye of the Tiger. My kids are <laughs> like, Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So wh- last question here. Well, next to last question. What, what's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners could go out and purchase? <laughs> um, again, I'm kind of a simple, boring person. Backpack. 
I tried in the beginning to carry a briefcase and look all serious and official. And finally, I just embraced the fact that I'm an engineer and I really just love a backpack because things don't fall out of it. When you're racing through the airport to catch that connection, you could strap it right on your back. Oh yeah. And it's, you know, and it's, it's designed. It's a, it's a better technical design in my opinion than the briefcase. So that's okay. just the good old backpack. Duly noted any specific backpack that you recommend or an error. I, right now I have an Osprey, but what tends to happen is my husband will buy himself a new backpack about the time mine wears out. And I'm like, Oh, that's really good. And I steal it. Well, <laughs> hey, good for you. <laughs> He's like, he's basically letting you just try them on. I don't like that. I think I want to take that myself. I've got an Osprey too. We can like insert the water bladder and everything. Yeah. And I'm assuming you're not inserting the water bladder. That would be, you could put it, I guess, on when you're walking around. Outside, yeah. you could have the water bladder. I, I haven't gone that far to, to yeah, <laughs> race my energy. But yeah, that'd be a bit much. Do you have any carabiners on your backpack? Uh no, okay. I, don't. I thought that might. I don't know. You know Trying to hold that. That I Lewis, could. Lewis Tree <laughs> Service. You know, you probably got a few carabiners no, around the company. Yeah. So, all right. That I. What a fun, fun interview today. But I want to leave the last word to your Leslie. What's your parting thought for the listeners? I think um, it's you know, leader leadership is uh, not for everyone. I applaud you know, all the listeners for taking it on because it's uh, it is an extra level of responsibility and work, but um, it can bring you a lot of joy when done well. And you see your people thrive, and you see your company grow, um, and the families that you can impact. For us, we have a lot of field craft workers who talk about, you know, uh, I came to this country and now I can put my, you know, this. You've provided me with a job. I'm going to have a good retirement and I'm putting my kids through school. They're going to go to college. I'm going to wow. change the course of my whole family. You want to have something that's that's humbling and exciting and a reason to get out of bed. It's that. And I think uh, as leaders, we can impact folks in all different ways. Yeah. The word that comes to mind for me hearing that is legacy and recognizing that our legacy as leaders isn't necessarily about the balance sheet or the income statement. It's about people's, like your team's children going to college mm -hmm. and having a better life and a great retirement and allowing them to fulfill their, their personal and professional dreams. So, man, I got to chill hearing that. <laughs> Le Leslie, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.